This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about the four biggest PR myths that can sabotage your marketing. Of all the marketing channels, PR, or earned media, seems to be the biggest black box, mostly because it is outside of your control, which means many businesses have a hard time navigating PR and tend to invest in what seems like a quote-unquote sure thing just to be disappointed. We don't want that to happen to you. So I'm going to share the realities from my 14 years in this world. Ten of those were at P&G. And just to define PR, so Anne mentioned that PR is what we generally classify as earned media. So we've stated that already. But this means that you're pitching a journalist, a social influencer, a blogger, TV, radio, broadcast, podcaster, whatever, in the hopes that they're going to tell your story in their publication, either print or digital, or on social or on TV or on radio or on podcasts. Again, you get the gist here. But something that gets you coverage without you having to pay for it. That's the pivotal point here. You're not paying for it. If you want more on the basics of PR, we have another episode for key components of a successful PR campaign that provides that overview. We also have a recent one on successful stunts entitled The Essentials of a Successful PR Stunt. We're going to use journalists today as a proxy here just for simplicity's sake. But again, know it can be anyone with a following that you are hoping to secure earned media from or with. We're also going to use publication or pub for any channel. Again, print, digital, social, TV, radio, podcast. That's the publication, quote unquote. All right. So hopefully we got those definitions in our head. Okay. So with that, let's jump into the four biggest PR myths that can sabotage your marketing. The first PR myth is journalists want to tell your story. <laughs> this one made me <laughs> chuckle. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, journalists want to tell the story that gets them attention, right? So attention means more followers, increased reputation, better assignments, more viewers, better ratings, more revenue, which means if you want a journalist to tell your story, they need to believe that you can deliver one of those things. And the attention they want. And the attention they want, exactly. Which also means you need to understand the type of story your target journalist likes to tell, and then you construct your pitch accordingly. Sometimes this means framing it up as part of a bigger storyline, so how many people use COVID to contextualize their stories, right? Or providing an exclusive if you have something very buzzworthy to tell that they're going to want to tell, or giving them some sort of currency they can't normally get. This comes in the form of a lot of things like access to talent or events or behind-the-scenes things or something that not everybody is getting. Whichever strategy you choose, make sure you contextualize how this story will help them, right? And this means sometimes researching other stories and being overt in how yours complements theirs. This is a really good opportunity to show that you get them as a journalist and you're helping them. But all of this means you have to do your due diligence. Yes. And so, like we said, these are myths, right? And I said this one made me chuckle because (laughs) the journalists are in it for what is in it for them and their job. Not to say that that's ill will or ill intentioned or anything like that, rewarded, right? but that yeah, that that is their job. And so they're trained 
to find things that they know over time have built a proven track record for them. And so they have their own criteria that they're looking for. So we often talk about when you're speaking to your consumer, thinking about how they want to hear it. This is very much in a similar vein. It's Mm -hmm. okay. What do I know about them? What homework do I need to do? How do I need to frame up my story potentially differently than I would if I were the one telling it so that they want to tell it on my behalf because they are looking for X, Y, and D from each story that they're actually putting out there? Right. And the, the whole trick there is to do it in a very concise and very like clear oh, yes. standpoint. I mean, they do not want to read a two-page pitch, right? They don't have that kind of time. So you need to be very mindful of how quickly they need to process it and how quickly they need to get it. So that's how you construct your pitch to make sure you have an opportunity to even get the email opened mm-hmm. or the call returned. Yep. Good point. All right. The second biggest PR myth that can sabotage your marketing is a press release is a necessity. Also chuckle here. Now that I've <laughs> no. learned, I've been educated on this point, schooled by Anne. Yeah, yeah. And this is a big one for me. And I mean, I, I will say press releases serve a specific role, right? And they serve it mostly that role is of announcing important business happenings. It's a very controlled way of getting your message into the public domain where it is discoverable. That is the key reason for doing a press release. However, many brands and businesses have the wrong expectations when it comes to press releases, which incidentally makes it easier for your PR agency to cop out. And do what's actually easier for them, which is writing a press release and putting it on the wire versus doing the pitching, right? So you'll get a lot of that. So when it's a big red flag, when your agency is like, well, you know, we're just not getting this and that and the other, let's just do a press release. And, you know, it's going to, you know, cascade into other coverage. Be very, very careful about that. That means that they're not wanting to do the work. And that is a big red flag. So what are the wrong expectations here? So as I just kind of alluded to, the wrong expectations are that other pubs are going to see your press release and insert it into their publication, right? It's true that many pubs have sections that are basically, quote unquote, called things like latest news, and they do comb the wires for something to plug in there. But what are the chances, do you think, of it really being your coverage, right? What are the chances of it getting into a section where your target consumer or customer is looking? If you are still contemplating that, I can tell you it's very, very low. And I can tell you that even from working on big brands, when everybody used to think when we put out a press release that getting it in Yahoo Finance was some sort of big old accomplishment <laughs> because it had like hundreds of thousands of impressions, right? We're going to get to impressions later. So let's you know put a little pin on that one. Another wrong expectation is that a press release generates interest. In fact, actually, it discourages interest from other journalists because once it's out there, Journalists feel like it is, quote unquote, old news. So the chances of them telling a story which has already been told is actually very, very low. Unless the story is super compelling and you're going to give them something else in that realm of what we told you before, that's currency, that's going to encourage them to want to tell that story again. So the third wrong expectation is that journalists will use a press release to write their own story. So there's really enough info for them to do that, right? Yeah, April said, nope, and nope is right. Um, They may add an opinion, but your press release will likely be lifted and placed. And if you are good at writing a press release, the press release is very factually based. It has a couple of quotes that add a little bit of kind of color to it or opinion to it, but it's mostly a factually based story. So all of those things that we preach with regards to brand building and building emotional connections and really to connect with your consumer, that is not what happens in a press release. 
But if you're adamant about doing a press release, do it at the end to fill in the gaps. This is what I always recommend. Do all the pitching up front. Do everything that you can when you start feeling like you're getting diminishing returns. Then it should. it's usually okay to put out the press release in order to have it out there in order to fill in the gaps. Yeah, and I said I've been schooled by Anne on this one, and that was totally true. Um, PR was typically one of my black boxes, quite frankly, um, for a lot of years. And so I think one of the defaults we would do at the agency was to put out a press release. Right. And then pat ourselves on the back when we got any sort of reaction, traction, placement, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the point made here is really important and, like I just said, counterintuitive to the way that I thought about it. But when you go back to point one, right, and you think about the story wanting to be told by the journalist in the vein that they know it works, the press release is kind of the opposite of that. And I think what Anne said about it being more factually based and there's kind of an overall structure to it, it makes it less compelling when you think about that, that they all kind of Mm -hmm. look and feel the same, right? right? And there's not a lot of emotion and there isn't a lot of personality and and there isn't that bigger uh, panache or, you know, story or shininess to go along with it. So I think it's just worth reiterating the point that while this may be something that you've heard a lot about, if you don't have a lot of experience in PR, this is a really good point to reorient yourself to the conversation and demystify those myths, which is what we're trying to do today. Right. And I think you made a very important point in that the press release isn't the place that actually tell the story. No. Right. right? And Fair. so if you're doing that first, you're kind of killing the whole drama you're trying to build yep. through the story. So, again, it, it does serve a purpose. It is meant to be factual in nature. It's meant to release a lot of business news. It's supposed to get it out there. It helps make things SEOable. So that is for sure. But it does not tell your brand story in a compelling way that is going to drive a lot of people to your brand. Yeah, so it, really good point. So just I want you guys just to really understand the differences of, of what um, the PR channels play, okay? The third PR myth that can sabotage your marketing is you can pitch on your own. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I usually like to nip this one right in the bud. And, and there's for several reasons for this. And this it used to be true that, yes, you might be able to pitch on your own, All right. And that was when there was a lot of journalists that were still running their own beats, right? So you have if you have if you're a beauty brand, you could go to the beauty reporter, yep. or if you were in a sports kind of context, you could go to the sports writers, right? That is no longer in existence anymore. Like all of these publications are consolidating, they're moving from print to online only, they're folding all together, which means journalists that formerly covered just one category generally now cover many. This means they're very busy. And that means they get a lot of pitches across the board. So let me just, you know, just kind of switch the uh, the perspective here. So if you were the journalist whose pitches would you prioritize? Just ask yourself that question. The answer to that question should be totally obvious. It's not someone they don't know. It's someone that they actually get regular pitches from that have turned into really good stories, right? It's somebody that they trust, somebody that they know that they're bringing them that that currency that they want that's going to turn into something that's going to give them that attention that they want, right? When you pay for a PR agency or freelancer, you are paying for their relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that that relationship can be utilized specifically to translate into story for you. A lot of things have to be right in order for that to happen. But it takes a long, long time and a lot of diligence to build relationships with journalists. So you're really better off deferring this to people whose job it is to do this every day, right? 
And because you just don't have the time or the bandwidth. It's just, it's just no possible way. Now, like I said, that doesn't mean it's a sure thing. You have to have a story that journalists wants to tell, but you have a much better shot with someone who has a relationship and who knows the art of pitching stories. Yeah. And when I think about this and the whole idea of, you know, having a beat and focusing in one particular place, this is no different than what we've seen of just the proliferation of channels and digital and messaging and all of those things. And so if you think about these journalists, you have to think about the fact that their lives, just by the nature of where things went, have become so much more frenetic than they ever have been before. And very fragmented. Exactly. And so it's hard enough when you think about the way things used to be, like Anne said, to pitch your own story. Now it's that much harder. And so what they're trying to do is just, in my mind, it's like they're trying to stay on top of things right. all the time. And so what's the way to to just kind of stay above water, um, knowing that their job has shifted so exponentially? And so this point, while I find it funny in general, now that, again, I know so much more about the PR world and the relationships, quite frankly, which, you know, I think that's always been something that people have inherently understood um, and the piece that you're paying for. But I, I just think that now more than ever, this point is so important. And why would you waste your time trying to pitch it on your own when you just have so many other things that you need to be doing? Yeah, and I totally agree. And a lot of times it's because, one, people don't want to pay for oh, a PR for agency, sure. especially because it's the ROI factor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I'm investing. Yeah, I'm investing this much money. Can you guarantee me coverage? Yep. No. No PR agency can guarantee you coverage. Yep. And if you pressure that in order to do that, the first thing they're going to do is put out a press release <laughs> because they know they're probably going to get at least some impressions from that. circle. Right? <laughs> so, no, it is not a guaranteed thing, but is PR and earned media an essential part of most marketing strategies and plans? Yes, absolutely. It's like gold. Yeah. And it, and it is. It's that earned authentic message. Now, we're going to get into some downfalls and pitfalls about that, but there is an element of that that becomes very, very important. It's sometimes hard to measure, but the qualitative nature of the social proof it creates is so powerful and so important. You won't even notice that it's happening until it's actually happening. And you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, all this stuff is coming together. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all this stuff has opened up for me. Right. Yep. Good point. So I'd mentioned measurement and now I'm going to hit it right on the head. Okay. The fourth biggest PR myth that can sabotage your marketing. The more impressions I get, the more successful the PR campaign. And this is a big old nope. (laughs) Um, You need to be holding your agencies accountable for quality impressions. Is another reason why I discourage press releases in most cases, like I just said. An agency can pull together impression numbers based on placement, which may or may not be of value to you. Like I just gave you the example of Yahoo Finance. None of my consumers who are buying Tide at that moment were, well, I won't say none. The majority of the target of the consumer <laughs> I was going after was probably not on Yahoo Finance, yep. right? So I don't care if it was 3 million or 3 billion impressions. It didn't matter. That was not a quality impression to me. So the entire point of a PR campaign is to get coverage in places your customer or your consumer is looking or even your client is looking, okay? This is B2B PR also works very, very well. This may not be big pups, frankly. In fact, I've seen a positive placement in a smaller, highly influential pub for a client's consumer base have more impact than a Wall Street Journal article. And especially since Wall Street Journal articles, especially business publications, tend to be much more neutral or much more negatively skewed because that is the currency that gets them the fellowship, gets Mm -hmm. them the readers, it gets them that circulation, the revenue. So 
it begs the question, how do I define success then? We suggest you have a call to action to help you track traffic to a certain destination point, and that helps you gauge what is a quality placement or not. So if people are reading the coverage and they're going to what you want them to go to, that can actually a lot of times be measurable. So that does help you put some quantifiable KPIs against it. Mm -hmm. But there's other ways that you can gauge success. So first, does a placement generate more conversation conducive to building your brand or business? That's what we were talking about before, that when you can start putting these things out into the world and people start creating their own conversation around them, this helps lift your brand. This is what we call like the groundswell around our media. Does it translate well into good social content that has an impact there? Definitely share your PR on social. This is where you want to cross-pollinate, right? So does that help generate something within your community that then helps generate engagement, helps generate shares, helps get more followers there? Does it drive engagement with other important stakeholders or partners? There's many times, and this happens a lot in a more B2B standpoint, where people will use their coverage in important publications to their clients in order to sell business, right? A lot of them put it actually like right in their salutation of their emails. It's like Forbes top 100 entrepreneur companies listed this year. I'm like, it's right there. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so they're using it as a credible factor in order to build their own reputation and differentiate in the industry. Another is, does it boost my credibility and reputation, making it easier to sell? Well, I just said that. So, you know, that's those another one. Uh, so that's another one that you want to kind of consider because all of this is about building social proof. Like we said, PR is part of that social proof. It generally takes a consumer something like five to seven times before, before they actually take action. So PR is really about making you look popular in that area of whatever that area is important to your audience. And this may not have a direct cause effect unless you have a time-bound, irresistible offer. So that call to action, that um, an offer that says you need to do this now or you're going to miss out, something like that helps to kind of generate more of a quantifiable KPI. Otherwise, it's these qualitative KPIs that are going to really work together to help boost your brand and your business. Well, and to the point you made in the previous point, right, this is why... PR is a black box or something people just don't want to pay for, right? Right. Because it is really hard to, well, patiently wait (laughs) for the social proof or test things out to find the right time-bound offer that's going to work for you. Um, But the impression thing, I think for a long time, and this is where I think PR got kind of a or left a bad taste in a lot of the mouths of our clients when I was on the agency side, but also the agency was that they would hide behind the impressions. Right. And so they would say, here's the report. Look how great we did. But then when you would ask the probing questions to try to dig deeper, there wasn't really an answer. It was like, well, we were required to deliver the impressions and we did that. Check the box. Let's move on from here. Right. So I think, again, in the effort to demystify, this is a really important point again here that Metrics are hard to outline, which is how we end up in situations like this where it's pointing to something that really isn't relevant. But I think Anne's bigger point about the relevancy or the importance of PR as part of the marketing campaign is really on the other side of this, which is trusting in the fact that if you do have an effective marketing strategy and all your pieces and parts are working together, this can be a really critical point You just have to make sure that you're sussing out whether your partner agency is doing the right things on your behalf. Yeah, if you want to suss that out, a big question I always encourage everybody to ask is 
when they give you the impression numbers, because they always will give you the impression numbers, ask them what was the impact on the business. Yep. Right. And they may not be able to give you numbers and I might not be able to give you sales. But they should be able to speak to it. But they should be level. able to speak to how it actually helped the business move forward, whatever their goal was. And if they stutter about that, then that's an indication that they're not business minded. Yep. Which then you kind of get the impression that they are just about the impression. So uh, if you ask somebody what was the business impact of all these impressions, they might say, well, they were looking to penetrate this consumer base and they were able to effectively generate more sales amongst that consumer base. Yep. That would be an acceptable answer of like, okay, they understand the value of the work that they're providing and how that work is going to translate into something that's a meaningful impact to the business. And how it's part of the bigger picture. And how it's part of the bigger picture, right? So makes that that's how you know that your PR agency isn't going to work in the silo, and it's how they know that they're going to be doing the right work for you to help you grow your business and that your dollars are in a good place. Amen. Amen. All right. So just to recap, the four biggest PR myths that can sabotage your marketing. First, journalists want to tell your story. Actually, journalists want to tell the story that gets them attention. If you want a journalist to tell your story, they need to believe it can deliver the attention they seek. Second is a press release is a necessity. Press releases serve a specific role. If you insist on leveraging one, make sure you manage your expectations. Third is your you can pitch on your own. Journalists are very busy. They prioritize pitches from people they know and trust. And finally, the more impressions I get, the more successful the PR campaign. You should be holding your agencies accountable for quality impressions, not just the number of impressions. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, our next segment is In the Trenches, where we're going to give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, a lot coming from me in April's, obviously, but with broad application for anyone to digest and put into action. So the first In the Trenches question, with everything you have to say about PR, is it even worth doing? April. So we talked about this a little bit in the in the previous point, and uh, honestly, the points before that, but... Overall, it depends on what the goals are for your business as well as what challenges you're having as a business. So we talked about the fact that quality PR can be really beneficial in establishing reputation and credibility. We talked about what success looks like beyond impressions. I said when this works, it actually is like gold for your business Uh and your brand, right? All of that is totally true. And then also on the other side, it creates valuable searchable content for SEO, Um, You know, not to get too much into SEO, we have an episode on that as well Mm -hmm. if you are interested in it. But the idea here is now that we have that channel, when you have this more earned coverage, it gets more points, quote unquote, within SEO, right? But again, on the other side, it takes effort and it takes effort, meaning you're investing in an agency or a freelancer or someone who is an expert in this space and has the relationships that are needed to make PR work on your behalf. With that being said, We always like the solution, and you hear us say this all the time, of testing and learning on a combined earned page strategy. And this is where things really tend to be heading. So many influencers really specifically are leveraging this, where they can now have affiliations with other publications, TV outlets, et cetera, 
that, you know, you make an investment and then you can generally get the coverage on these sites through the influencer and you get the added bonus of the influencer working on your behalf to enrich that earned media. So it's not you as the business or brand putting the message out there. It's them. And then it's also this quote unquote community on steroids because they have these affiliations and you are paying something in. Mm-hmm. These can be really economical ways to start because you're not blowing your whole budget here, but you are investing something that kind of puts you at the top of the list to make the whole system work together and have earned and paid be a really collaborative initiative on your behalf. But overall, we would say generally PR needs a groundswell, right? It's not enough to just drip, 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 right? To have an article here or a placement there, unless it's in certain publications that have long leads, but high value quality placements. That's the one time we will say that it can work. But in general, you really need to concentrate your efforts when you have new news so that you can continue to build on and create social proof within the five to seven touches that we talked about that are necessary for people to hear from you, see you, et cetera. But it happens in a much more expeditious way. Just remember, this is how you grow popularity overall. It does take time. It is an investment. It is worth it if you do it right as part of your marketing strategy. Yeah, and I think you brought up two really good points. One is the when, which we get that conversation a lot. It's like, when should I do my PR? Should it be an always-on thing or should it be very concentrated? And we do suggest it be concentrated so you can get that groundswell because you have to rise above all of the noise that's happening when you can get all your channels to work together in order to be able to use the power of the brand to lift your message. That works better than to just kind of like, like we said, dripping and, you know, all along the way. Now, that being said, um, we just had Mike DeRay um, from Smarts on and he talks about doing the little moments, right? It's yep. like, you know, being very conscientious about getting these little moments here and there and there and there in order to start building credibility, reputation, right? That is something that you can start doing on your own in order to kind of provide the grounding for the groundswell, if you will, if there's something below the groundswell is the foundation for the groundswell, so that you can have authentic stories that are actually coming from that. So I liked that what you said, April, because it really starts honing in on the wind to make sure that the money you're investing has momentum behind it and then allows it to actually like rocket your message. Yep. The other thing that you mentioned that I think I uh, that I really, really agree with that I think is a really important thing for everybody to consider, and it sounds like we're talking out both sides of our mouth a little bit, which is the paid earned yep. th- that that arrangement. Because it can work so hard for you. And again, it creates that momentum, again, because your coverage is is showing up in multiple different places that starts looking like, oh, I saw it there. I saw it there. Mm-hmm. I saw it there. There must be something to this. This is starting to feel like this brand is popular. This business is popular. And it helps to create and, and, and fast track that social proof. Yep. And it's a much more efficient way of doing it than to kind of pick it and try to go after all these individual places where you can kind of get it all in one place. So I highly suggest considering those as a really expeditious way of facilitating your PR, even if you're paying a little bit. But I'll tell you, and we're probably going to get to this here in a question that even earned media can sometimes require a paid component. So yes, it can. Well, and I think, I mean, to the point about influencers, right? It's a newer channel and people are getting used to that, right? So to your point about seeing it, it, it is 
fresh and new in some ways, but it's also not necessarily jarring or unexpected. If there's a paid component, it just kind of is what it is. And so I think this is something that maybe wouldn't have applied traditionally, but applies today because of the way the landscape has changed. Yeah. And because of the efficiency they need on the media side, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have as many people. Right. Yep. All right, our second in the trenches question. I was successful in getting a piece of earned coverage, but the journalist told a story differently than I would have wanted. Went, went wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And really, to a previous point. (laughs) Yeah. So, this is the unpredictability of earned media. You cannot directly control the message. You could do everything right, but journalistic freedom allows that journalist to do what he or she wants with it including out of their opinion. Now, there's a lot of things that was always the thing we always held our breath and crossed our fingers that after we would pitch a story or do an interview that the journalists would actually come back with the story that we wanted them to tell, not something that was not as <laughs> beneficial to the brand, right? Now, there are limits. Like, they can't say anything false, and you can have them do a correction if they say something that's obviously false, right? Yep. Um, and there's a defamation limit too. But unless it's something you can actually prove, like a documented factor figure, getting a correction or retraction is actually very, very difficult. Especially since, again, them being busy, once they tell a story, they want to move on to the next story. They don't want to keep going back to yours. Yeah, if it's not something that's going to get them sued. Right. <laughs> and maybe it could be. And even, maybe even, and they just yeah, figure exactly. you're not going to go do it, right? Yep. So how can you try to avoid these pitfalls? So first... You need to know the pub and the journalist. So we talked about this in the very first point about doing your due diligence. If you're expecting a straightforward, non-sensational piece from a pub that is known for twisting words and for, to emphasize the sensationalism, you didn't do your homework. And I'm not just talking about like the National Enquirer, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about business pubs. Business pubs are famous for this. You heard me allude to it earlier. And this is where people get tripped up the most is that they go after these business pubs thinking like these big articles are going to somehow add a tremendous amount of value for the brand. And then their journalist kind of takes it and twist it to whatever skew that they wanted to go to in order to align with their previous points of view and to validate them or to get more news and get more people to follow it and read it. If there's an interview, prepare a message track and a possible Q&A. This is very, very important. Make sure anyone who interviews has been message trained. Yes, this is huge. Also a big learning for me. It is yeah. huge. I mean, it seems like it's a very easy thing to do. I'm just going to go in and have a conversation with a journalist. That's okay, right? <laughs> no, this is where everybody gets into trouble because people tend to overtalk. Yep. They, and and journalists, yes. And journalists have strategies to get people to do this, yep. all right? They're good at fishing. They're good at, like, long pauses. I'm not going to go through the whole message training here, but there are <laughs> definitely ways that they've been trained and they know how to get the stories that they want out of people. And it's usually the story behind the story, not necessarily the story you're telling. So if you're overly worried about this, especially if you have maybe a, t- a talent or a spokesperson you think might go off the rails a little bit, ask if the journalists would be willing to send the questions ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Or if you are, um, or if they're willing for you to provide email responses to the questions, mm-hmm. not everybody will do this, um, but some will, especially if shot. they're busy. Yeah, and you say it's, it's it's okay to ask um, in order to be able to facilitate that conversation. Now, also, you need to manage your expectations. If you're trying really hard to sell, like a lot of brands do with you know their new product launches, promos, new advertising campaigns, commercial innovation, all of these things that the brands get super excited about but journalists generally don't. 
be prepared for the journalist to tone down this language. So generally, a journalist will not use your advertising language because it feels too inauthentic and too salesy. So be smarter in your message tracks. Make sure your message tracks allow that your message to come through in a more authentic way for the journalist. Well, and I think this is a little bit of retraining expectations, right? So I think if you go in with this knowledge that they are going to take some liberties with your story and they are going to change the way that things are said to be more on brand for them in a lot of cases or the publication versus you, that's where I think, well, one, the messaging track becomes hugely important. And, and you know, the more that you can prep for that, the better. But also the more you can start to think about where you can control things versus not and having a little bit of self-preservation or self-editing or whatever through that lens can be a much better way to think about it because I think you're right, and these people aren't your friends and they have a job to do and to the points we've made, they're looking for like the juicy tidbits or the story that's going to sell, right? And again, we're not. I'm not saying that it, it is ill-intentioned or that it comes from a bad place, but that is what sells. And so I think if you can reorient yourself to the fact that not only are they going to tell the story they need to tell for the business, but then also what that might mean for the interview or the message track or what you actually want to say versus not or where the parameters are, you can be better prepared for that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Definitely have an expectation that they are going to somewhat skew your story. You don't have to be paranoid, but if you did your due diligence, you should know. And you can actually ask the journalist ahead of the interview, like, what kind of story are you looking to tell? Like, yep. Do you have an angle for your story that would help us prepare Frame. so we can yep. you know, give you the right information? It also helps you appropriately train whoever's doing an interview if somebody's doing an interview. Also, the thing that you need to be prepared for, too, and this even happens on the big brands, you guys, is that you may not be the only brand mentioned. Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared that, you know, hopefully you'll be the primary brand mentioned, but you may go through all this effort, set up this whole interview, and you may be one of three brands mentioned yep. in the article, right? It happens a lot because, that's, again, is a way the journalist shows that they're unbiased in the way that they're telling a story. Now, if you're doing more on the influencer side or if you're doing more of a, like a social influencer or, or a obviously something that's more controlled like a podcast that you know that you're the only person there – Chances of that of that are less likely um, because you're basically going there in the format like doesn't isn't conducive for them talking about multiple brands necessarily unless they're doing a like um, you know they're doing some sort of audit on brands like yep. so there are some that uh, bloggers and some social media mavens who basically that's what they do but you know that going in that hey they're auditing all these products and then mine's gonna be one of those right. Mm-hmm. So just be prepared for all of that. Um, Again, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go do it. Some of that coverage could be very highly beneficial. You just have to be aware and go in with your eyes wide open so you can appropriately be proactive in the way that you're conveying your messages in the way that you're conveying and setting up your products or your services. Yep. All right. The third in the trenches question, how do I know my PR agency has the relationships? April. All right, so you're doing your due diligence here and you're looking for transparency, right? So mm-hmm. that's the mindset you need to go in in with here. So ask them for examples of play- placements they've done for other clients in the publications that you are interested in. If they won't give it to you, that is a big red flag. If they give you an excuse, also a big red flag. If you want to be more covert, you can go ahead and Google their client list 
all PR agencies list the clients they work with. So see what coverage pops up when you Google them. Mm -hmm. Or ask them for a media list of the publications they have relationships with really directly and overtly. Or ask them to tell you a story of things like their easiest pitch and their hardest pitch that gives you an idea of how savvy they are. And again, you're kind of sussing out that authenticity and what they have on their side versus what they don't. Because at the very beginning, again, we said you're paying for the relationships that these folks have. And if you want to be able to leverage those relationships, well, they have to have them, right? And they have to actually have really mm -hmm. strong ones. And they ha they should be able to very authentically and, again, transparently pull out the examples, right? Be excited to talk about them with you. You should sense some passion and some of the work and some pride in what they've done and what they've been able to accomplish. And then, yes, on the other side, do your diligence and check kind of on the back end, right, to make sure that the things they're saying are authentic. But between those two things, you should be able to get a real sense. Again, if they refuse anything, probably not your best option. If they feel like they're hiding stuff, they're hiding stuff. So just kind of have that filter on. Again, self-preservation, I think, is big in these instances because, again, they're going to go tell the story they want to tell in their way. But you have to make sure on your end that your money is well spent. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Those are really good suggestions. Um because I did have an experience with one of the agencies that I was vetting out and they again they give you this whole case study of impressions and brand and like the fun pictures and stuff. But I asked them, I was like, well, can you give me some examples of some of the articles or some of the coverage yep. that you got? And like, oh, that's proprietary to our client. I'm like, it's public. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's published. <laughs> it's in the public domain. You're going to make me go do the hard work to go like mine for all them yep. versus you guys just tell me. I mean, it it's it. Those are the sorts of things that you you might get from some agencies who are just not up to snuff, and you need to really kind of weed that out. But everything that's April suggesting really gives them the opportunity to actually brag about their agency, yes. right? Right. And if they're not going to brag about their agency, then I just question whether or not they're doing hard work mm -hmm. um, in order to serve their clients. Yep. I think that's exactly right. All right, our fourth in the trenches question. I am so disappointed because my PR agency can't seem to get those big pubs to tell my story. Is it them <laughs> or is it me? Well, okay, it could be both, to be totally honest. But here's some reality of the situation. So big pubs like the Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America, all these like big shiny like ones that people normally associate with being like the mecca of PR coverage have a very specific formula for what makes it into their pub. And like I said before, it almost always requires some level of paid investment, usually in the form of something like an ad buy or a giveaway. These pitches are generally run through a producer or a sales team. So your ability to pitch is more quantifiable by how much money you're going to spend on the network or how much you're going to spend with their audience. Again, all in the intent to make them look good, get that attention, get that followership. So it's really important that your agency understands and knows how to navigate this process. It is not an easy process to navigate. It is almost always solely based on relationships, but it almost always requires some level of spend. Now, if your agency qualifies and they they know how to navigate this and they and they are having those conversations and you're still not getting your story told, it may mean that your story does not fit their formula, which, of course, always makes me question, why do you want them anyway to begin with? Mm -hmm. 
like I said, people tend to get really excited about this type of coverage based on the clout. But then you have to think about, well, where is your consumer again? Is this the place where your consumer is going to be most receptive? Now, sometimes people are like, well, if I get these big ones, others will follow. And, you know, sometimes that is true that that can happen. So once you show up in one Something somebody else sees it and they're like, oh, again, this is popular. I want to tell this. But that's a very like small percentage of stories that that happens with. And mostly it's very like lifestyle oriented, more like fun in mm-hmm. nature, like, you know, the Chewbacca mom kind of thing where she did her like whole <laughs> tour. You know, I mean, and that stuff is kind of more like happenstance. It's kind of like lightning in a bottle. I was going to say, you never actually know what's going to make it. So wasting your time here is totally. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, and, and if it's brand and it's brand oriented, that automatically puts you into a category of which you have specific guardrails that are going to get you through each part of that process. So think about that. Think about like, okay, is this where the best use of my time is? Is this the best use of my agency time? And ask yourself different questions like, have I you exhausted all your local market, which tends to be a bit easier because there are more angles to play? So, for example, if you're a brand that is rising out of Cincinnati, Ohio, you should have your agency going and knocking on the doors of every single TV, radio broadcast in Cincinnati, Ohio. The chances of you getting coverage there are much greater because they want to tell the story of what's going on in the local market. 100%. Right. So leverage those. I mean, I've gotten on there talking about my book, yep. you know, so leverage those. Those are the places to start. And then sometimes those things take up a life of its own, like we talk about the groundswell, but only if you have a concerted effort around all of it, okay? So also, you know, just in general, be careful about over-investing and hard-to-gets. I mean, you can get just swallowed up by wanting to get into these pubs and then be just very disappointed at the end of the day that it doesn't do what you wanted to do. Meanwhile, you left all this low-hanging fruit on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is a tricky one too, right? Because you want to tell the story you want to tell and you think it's a big deal. We've given you all the reasons that it may or may not be or how to best orient it and all of those things. But I think a lot of this is self-editing but also listening to the people that know and trusting in that, which is why you have to be able to vet appropriately and make sure you have the right PR agency and all the things that we've talked about today, but also being realistic in your expectations. And again, like Ian said, doing the hard work to get you there. So is it super shiny and sexy to do the local stuff when you think about wanting to be in these big pubs? Maybe not. Can it be a much better solution Absolutely. And so or at least a place to start or at least a place to start. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or test and see how things go or mm-hmm. what do people take to or this is the message I'm putting out there with these folks. Is it hitting? Is it not hitting? How do I change it? So then to your point, when I get to the big it's arena, you know, what what is it going to look like? What should it look like? You're better informed and also equipped to tell the right story at that point in time. But I think that there's this misconception that it's easier than it is. And I think Mm -hmm. what we've said today is it's not, right? And maybe we haven't said that super directly. But the whole idea here is there is some work to be done. There are ways to do it. You're going to have to find out the way that works for you and understand, like Ann said at the beginning of this question, it might be them, it might be you, it might be a combination. So be aware and continue to kind of chip away at what is working and what might not be working. Yeah, I think that's really, really good points all around. And I want to say, you know, again, just to reiterate what we said at the beginning, 
I mean, we're we say journalists, and that kind of like can you know, connotates in your oh, mind, yeah. like Fair. you know, the Wall Street Journal and things like that. But I mean, people have the same mindset when they think about what influencers they want, you yes. know, to cover their um, their product launches or whatever their news is. They think about about what podcast they want to be on, and they everyone wants to go for the pie in the sky, and those are all great. But just remember that sometimes it takes that social proof that mm-hmm. you are actually something in order for those bigger guys to actually even take notice. Yep. So be strategic in how you're creating that groundswell in order to be able then to use that as a way to kind of tease the the bigger guys. And and a lot of times when they start seeing that stuff happen, it starts to feel more like a pull than a push. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, really good point. All right. And our third and final segment is a real world example of a business a person we've experienced recently using or not using their marketing smarts. So we're calling this marketing smarts moments. I did think of one. Okay, go. All right. Ready? Okay. All right. So the one that I am going to talk about today is Jones Fishery. It's in Cincinnati. And they are basically a marine, uh, like, lake, pond um, resource for basically, I think people come from up as north as Cleveland, down south. Like, I mean, people come from, like, really, really far away in order to come here for all their, like, pond supplies. And we're talking about small ponds already to, like, huge, like, lake-sized ponds. I guess that's not really a pond, but, you know, a bigger butter of water, I guess. <laughs> Just below a lake. <laughs> Just below a lake. So, like, stocking those um, to all of the uh, equipment needed to operate one, to the food, to, like, you just name it. They're, like, a complete total service. And they have a really expert staff that has, like, degrees in marine life from Ohio State and PhDs. I'm like, this is a really, like, expert group. Now, I bring them up because they have a captive audience, mm. right? They're the only ones in like 100 miles of radius that actually do what they do. Mm. There's no reason that when you go there, these people should have to feel like they need to create community within the uh, the, the people that they're serving and the, the people that are working there, right? Mm. Because they have a captive audience, right? But they do. And I find this very, very refreshing because when we have a pond, and I think I've talked about some of my pond woes, but recently we were able to get all of our koi through the winter. And then we went out there and one of our big koi was just gone. Hmm. It was devastating. I was just devastating. I'm like, that was one of the big yellow ones. Where, where, what happened to this mm-hmm. thing? And we're fenced in. So I was like, we have some owls, but like the owls don't eat them. So I went there and we were going to get a new fish and we had to get more food and um, in some plants and I walked in and I said, hey, this is what happened. She goes, oh, that so sucks. Mm-hmm. Like she was so empathetic and sympathetic. She goes, it could be a crane. It could be some other things. You didn't do anything wrong. And so I was like, all right, so we're going to buy another koi um, and I need food and I need, you know, this other stuff, you know, this, the um, stuff that you put in and I need some plants. And then I happened to be walking by and I was like, bullfrog tadpoles. I want bullfrog oh, tadpoles. Sh- Doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> so I was like, "Can I? Will I go well in my pond?" She goes, "Yep, they'll be fine." So I'm like, four bullfrog tadpoles at two fifty. She goes, "I'll even find the ones that have little legs on them already." So oh. you know, and so she was like really helping me feel better about the whole situation. Now, since then, I found um, that it takes one to three years for a bullfrog tadpole to turn into a frog. Oh my! Yeah, well, impulse purchase. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit of like a uh oh for me, but. So because the tadpoles disappeared, I'm like, I don't know what happened to them either. So it was a little bit reminiscent of the fish. But I say all that to say, like, 
I want to go there because I feel like I am part of a community yep. that actually um, cares about the health, the wellness of my pond and has the experts that are able to supply me everything I needed. Now, I could go and buy all that stuff minus the fish on Amazon. And mm-hmm. now, mind you, the fish costs anywhere from $10 to $30. All the rest of the stuff costs like hundreds of yes. dollars, right? So that's like the pure thing of what they're going for. And they have a captive audience. I mean, she could have just been like, well... There's other one here, you know, yeah. right? And so what I think a lot of times of us as businesses, we think we have this captive audience and we get a little lazy yeah. in being able- Or a little too big for our britches. Or a little bit too big for our britches, thinking that it each consumer doesn't matter because there's always another one where that came from. Here's an example of uh, a, basically a, you know, one of those types of businesses that has not taken that um, mentality and then able to really grow so that people are coming from hundreds of miles away mm-hmm. in order to get that expertise. Well, and you're not one of their big clients either, right? Oh, no, like, I'm a nothing. By scale. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are going to spending tens of thousands of dollars to buy fish to stock their pond, right? Yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right. And I mean, I think it's something we talk about a lot, right? On our side is making sure that those one-on-one interactions and it doesn't matter how much like not thinking about it through the lens of what you want to get out of it but really that being authentically you because you've had that experience consistently right it's not just this one time it's built over time on it and focusing there instead of being like oh things are going well we're just going to keep humming along and I don't have to necessarily be as present or be as invested the try is hard yeah exactly and I think that's I think that's a great example and I think again then it's like it's working the other way which is it's such a testament that these people are continuing to come and they're I'll use your term flywheel is growing mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to get more people in because of conversations like this and all of those things so I have to imagine their ambassador community is big because of the experience they provide when you're there and it's not just a transactional one that is exactly right on All right, so just to recap, the four biggest PR myths that can sabotage your marketing. First is journalists want to tell your story. Actually, journalists want to tell a story that gets them attention. If you want a journalist to tell your story, they need to believe it, can deliver the attention they seek. Second, a press release is a necessity. Press releases serve a specific role. And if you insist on leveraging one, make sure you manage your expectations. Third is you can pitch on your own. Journalists are very busy. They prioritize pitches from people they know and trust. And finally, the more impressions I get, the more successful the PR campaign is. Now, you should be holding your agencies accountable for quality impressions, not just the number of impressions. And with that, we'll say go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.